We continue our study in John chapter 15 this morning. I'd invite you to turn there, please. John chapter 15. And we're going to be also looking at Psalm 23. John chapter 15. Some hard messages recently, and it's hard to really consider um, that we, well, it's hard to contemplate really and wrap our minds and our hearts around the fact that we are loved by God as God's people, just that alone, that God loves his people, but also that we are hated by the world as Christians, and we consider that. Sometimes that's hard to hear, that's hard to reconcile with. The scripture is very clear on that, although, and some of us, most of us, all of us, if you're a Christian, have experienced that on some level, in some way, shape, or form, as you have lived following Christ in this world, and that will indeed continue as we walk, as you walk in this world. Look at John 15, 18 through 25. And then we're going to turn to Psalm 23. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. So this really, this morning, is part two of last message, last Lord's Day, verse 23. He who hates me hates my father also, says the Lord. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And we'll just continue to read these next two verses just for context for us. When the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. As you turn to Psalm 23, Before we really dig into John 15, we consider that we indeed uh, are living in the world as Christians, not to be of the world, but we are living in the world, and we're surrounded by people who are of the world, who love the world, and who hate Jesus Christ, and who hate Christians, therefore. As many of us, or some of us, went camping the last few days, I try to look for illustrations late in the game before the sermon and nothing really significant or overly hilarious or embarrassing happened uh, that I saw anyway so therefore no one can really get pointed out by way of illustration Um, but I thought of some things and so if I share this and you participated in this I am not pointing you out I just thought of it as a way to illustrate certain things this morning 
But there was a, a stream or a river, I'm so used to saying river in my life, river be, behind where many of us were camping, and it was, uh, the water level was high, and it was rushing very quickly. And being a, trying to be a fisherman that I am, walking out, wading into the water, you go in a little bit, and no problem. The further you go, the more difficult it is to stand. That oftentimes is how it fleshes out for us as Christians. The deeper we go into the world, as far as ministering to the world or engaging in the world, the harder it can be to stand. And we are to have, because that's where the fish are many times, is where places that we must go deep in the world to reach them just as it is when we are fishing uh, for fish. We're called to be fishers of men, Christian. And at times we have to go into places that are difficult, perhaps difficult to stand. And there are others among us who will, must stand with us. And then there will be those who will just flow down the stream, having a great time on a raft, Not that there's a problem with that for those who did, but you see by way of illustration. But we're not called to as Christians to float along in this world. We're called to stand and to stand firm in the power of the Holy Spirit and rescuing those out there. And that can be very difficult just to stand, much less evangelize and to try to reach those who are out there. And so as we consider this message, loved by God but hated by the world, this second part, it behooves us to remind ourselves who we serve and who is for us as we are Christians. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, dear Christian, he leads you, he restores you, he guides you in the paths of righteousness. He is indeed the good shepherd. He is your shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Our acceptance, Christians, is in God's eyes, in God's presence. This world does not accept us. Jesus Christ receives his own. And as we're reminded in John 14, he goes to prepare a place for us. We're pilgrims here passing through. He goes to prepare a place for us. I continue. You have anointed my head with oil. Consider the application. A soothing oil for the wounds of this life. The world seeks to wound us. The people of the world seek to take us down in many ways. To mock us because they mock Jesus Christ. But the Lord provides the soothing oil for the wounds of this life. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. For now and as we step into eternity. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This promise for those who follow the Good Shepherd. So just by way of encouragement this morning, before we dive into John chapter 15, I wanted to present that to us. Turn with me, please, to John 15 once again. I'll ask for the Lord to bless this time. God, I pray once again that you, Holy Spirit of God, would indeed help me to preach your word faithfully, that you would give ears to hear this morning, hearts pliable to change, and that you would help me in a mighty way, for I am in desperate need of you at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We considered the points that we looked at last time. Excuse me. Hated by the world, but we are chosen out of the world, Christian. Persecution from the world, indeed, that takes place in our lives. Counting the cost of following Jesus Christ. There is a cost to follow Christ in this world. And the price that was paid to redeem us, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as he came into this world. Well, first and foremost this morning, our first point, hated because of his words. Jesus was hated because of his words. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. So we consider this. We have to look at the first phrase. We have to deal with this. The first phrase, so that there is no misunderstanding. Jesus does not mean here that the Jews would have been sinless and that they would be all set if Jesus had never appeared. If I had not come in the flesh, that is, to this earth, in their presence... They could not be held guilty for rejecting Jesus in the flesh if he never came in the flesh. But it really is a moot point because Jesus did come in the flesh. And he did speak to them. And they do have sin. And unless they repent like Nicodemus did, they would die in their sin. And they would have sin before. They did have sin and they were in sin before Jesus Christ came and stepped on the scene, so to speak. We would ask, well, what about those who died before Christ? They would die in their sin for rejecting who God is. The second part of verse 22, but now they have no excuse for their sin and neither do any of us. All we have to do is go to Romans chapter 1 and read chapter 1 through chapter 3 and we would be utterly convinced that we have no excuse for our sin. And we would see that the, all of the world is guilty before God. So if we were to ask the question, why in the world would they hate Jesus Christ? First, they hated him for what he said, for his words. And it's interesting because that is indeed true today as well. And so would people try to alter his words, which is blasphemous, 
and erroneous to do so in order to soften the blade or take the blade off altogether in order to win a decision for Christ. That is erroneous to do so. We let the Bible speak. We just open it up and proclaim His Word. What did Jesus say? They hated Him for that, for His words. There are people that we may be prone to hate because of what they say or how they say it. Right? I'm sure we could all think of someone that perhaps when we are somewhere and a TV is on or we happen to hear a voice on a radio or whatever it may be and we're like, oh, not this person again. And we're prone to say or think, man, I really hate that person or the way that they talk and that say these things or how they say it. Well, there's people who say things out of rudeness and arrogance and boastfulness or profanity or with a hypocritical mindset that may lead us down a road to think that way or be prone to hatred in some way, shape, or form. And then there's those who teach a false gospel, who misrepresent Jesus Christ, who mock Christ. And we may be prone to have hatred toward them. But with Jesus, Jesus was not prideful. Jesus was completely humble. Everything Jesus said was true. Everything. And when he could have lashed out, he did not. He said nothing. Isaiah 53 and verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. And verse 9 of Isaiah 53 says, Nor was there any deceit in his mouth, speaking of the Messiah to come. Jesus never said anything wrong. He never said anything inappropriate. Never anything mean. In fact, he was the only man who ever lived whose words could always be trusted 100% of the time. When Christ came, the light of the world, shining brightly into darkness, the man's darkness, their dark hearts, did not like what he had to say. And the same is true today has not changed. People hated exposure of their sin, and the same is true today. It has not changed. In a world that hates Christianity, because it hates Jesus Christ, it could be from those in the highest levels of government to academia, wherever it may be in the world. You may be tolerated if you keep quiet, For a time, anyhow. The hatred by the world towards Jesus is not because of how he said things. And nor should it be, we should not be hated either because of the way we say things. It is not how often he said them. The world hates him because of what he said. 
You have to deal with what Jesus said. Every individual alive has to deal with the words of Christ. Everyone. There is no neutrality. Secondly, Jesus was hated because of who he represents. Who he represents. Verse 23, he who hates me hates my father also. This oneness with the father, me and my father, these are emphatic in this verse. There is no wiggle room here. Jesus said earlier in John, I and the Father are one. So as Christ stepped on the scene, God in the flesh, the God-man, Christ Jesus, fully man, fully God, He reveals the Father. To dishonor Christ is to dishonor the Father. This unity, as it were, with the Father. To serve one is to serve the other. To obey one is to obey the other. To hate Jesus is to hate the Father as as well. You can't say, well, I just serve the Father, and I'm not going to serve Jesus. Doesn't work like that. The triune God, the Trinity. God in three persons. The opposite of this, of course, is to receive Him. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Well, who sent Jesus Christ, God the Father did. Again, reason number one for our study, for why the world hates Jesus, is because because of what he says. Reason two, it's because of who he represents. Remember his disposition. Remember what he said. Matthew 20, 28, I'll just read it for you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Consider that. The Son of Man, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And he also says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are, la- who are heavy laden, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It sounds nice. If we were just to say that verse and that verse alone. Benign in a way, right? Well, we remember what Jesus said about counting the cost to follow him. That was not popular then, and it's not popular now. Also, we recall that some of Jesus' first words in His ministry were, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 4, that has not changed. Not popular then, and indeed, not popular today. The Word of God specifically focused on here, of course, the words of Jesus Christ revealing sins of people. Jesus commands and his precepts do not go along with the ideas of the world. Obviously, and we understand that and we see that every single day. Instead, we have the exact opposite. He's hated because of who he represents or who he aligns himself with, God the Father. 
The same is true for Christians. The same will be true for those who are true Christians in this world, in this life. What you say, including your biblical worldview, on matters of all things, you will indeed be persecuted for, and you will be hated for in some ways. It is who you represent, who you align yourself with as a follower of Jesus Christ. For what you say, Christian, and for who you align yourself with, which is Jesus, will bring hatred from this world. You see why I went to Psalm 23 first this morning. If you look for kindness and gratitude and warmth from a world that hates Jesus, you will be painfully disappointed. He is also hated because of what he has done. Jesus hated because of his words, hated because of who he represents or who he aligns himself with, if I could say it that way. And thirdly, hated because of what he has done. Verse 24. If I had not done among them the works, he says, which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. These specific, distinctive works he mentions here. But now they have both seen and hated. This is perfect, active, indicative, permanent attitude and responsibility of having this type of mindset and heart disposition towards Jesus Christ. The works, the whole life of Jesus, including the miracles. Miracles such as, or works, or such as healing a man born blind and raising Lazarus from the dead. Remember Nicodemus, a Pharisee, John chapter 3. When he met Jesus in the night, He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. They knew. He knew. He even said it. For no one can do these signs, there's our key word, or works, however we want to to consider it this morning, whatever your translation may say. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus saw it, and God used it in his life to change his heart and to bring him to faith in Jesus Christ. Others saw the same things and were unmoved or more hardened towards Jesus Christ. Richard Phillips suggests for us this morning, it is true today for those who cannot deny the power of God at work in the lives of Christians. They cannot deny it. Yet because of their love of sin and hatred for Christ, they go on to hate and persecute Christ's disciples all the more. Both seen and hated. They saw Jesus. They hated Jesus. Therefore, they saw saw and hated the Father as well. The closeness of the unity of the Father and the Son is stressed here once again. 
As Leon Morris reminds us, the guilt of the Jews consisted in this, that they rejected the revelation of the Father that was made known in the Son. These works or miracles or signs are very prominent in the Gospel of John. John uses signs 17 times or miracles in the NIV 27 times. Out of these 27 times, 18 apply directly to what Jesus did. Using the term in contrast here, it seems to mean all the works that Jesus had done. The world hates him because he did the works of God and the things that he said, which reveal man's spiritual bankruptcy before a holy God. People get offended by Christ because of who he is and the claims that he makes, the things that he says in his word. What he calls us to as well. People get offended because of what Christ calls us to. The narrow gate, the narrow way, repentance, following him, submitting to his lordship. Every single those, one of those I just mentioned. You will have false teachers seek to negate those and to seek to teach something else instead of what Christ taught. His words and his works... They shine brightly in dark hearts. And dark hearts do not like that. As Christians, when we read the Word of God in areas that we're struggling with at times, we don't like it. And our hearts have been fully enlightened. We have been fully changed by the grace of God. Or we hear a sermon that really hurts. Matthew Henry says, it really boils down to this, the fact that Christ is hated because sin is loved. Fourthly, verse 25, and the point for us, Christ is hated in fulfillment of God's plan. It is in fulfillment of God's plan. Look at verse 25. So when someone tells you, oh, there was plan B, and that's why God sent Jesus, that's erroneous, that is false. Verse 25, but they have done this, Jesus says, to fulfill the word that is written in their law. And the law here is the Old Testament in general. They hated me without a cause, he says. This hatred is also in fulfillment of what has been written in the Old Testament. There's two main possibilities here of what this could be, and we're going to turn there. Psalm 35 or Psalm 69. So if you're slumbering this morning, get your fingers, turn to these texts, if you have your Bibles with you, and look at these. Another confirmation for me, I believe, as speaking of camping, as I ran into a gentleman there who was one of our own from this church, I'll just say who it was, it was Steve, and he had his Bible there, and I said, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing, a devotion or something? And he opened up to Psalm 35, and I said, oh, that is a psalm I'm going to reference. And he went to the scripture, and I said, oh, that's the scripture in my own mind. I don't think I said that to him, but nevertheless, that was an encouragement for me 
indeed that this is where we need to go. Go to Psalm 69 first, and then we'll go to Psalm 35. It's important just to to see this and to grapple with this, because sometimes it's hard for us to swallow the amount of hatred one can have towards Christ and towards a Christian, because we forget how we hated God before we came to Christ. For those of us, maybe, perhaps, who were saved later in life as well. Psalm 69. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, obviously. Just glance at it. The first four verses. A cry of distress and imprecation on adversaries. Psalm of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I am weary with crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who, here's the the phrase for us, here's a scripture for us this morning. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, they have to restore. So we'll just stop there. We consider even verse 4 there. David, we can relate that as well to Christ's life, what he suffered. And indeed, we can look at that as well and say, this applies to a persecuted Christian as well. So just some commentary on this for us. This Psalm 69, a, a, psalm, a cry of distress, a psalm of David, a man declared righteous by justification and faith alone, zealous for God, but persecuted by the enemies of God because of his zeal and of their hatred of God. He is in distress. He is facing his enemies. They want his downfall. Now go to Psalm 35. Psalm 35. As well, this is a psalm attributed to David. This is a prayer for rescue from enemies. Several verses we could consider this morning, but Psalm Uh, Excuse me, verse 19 is our key verse. Do not let those who are wrongfully my enemies rejoice over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously. Again, a psalm of David crying out to God, asking God's help, saying there are those who hate me wrongfully. What is David facing? Verse 11, malicious witnesses rise up. Verse 20, For they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. And verse 21, they open their mouth wide against it. And they said, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. These mockers as well. And we find David called God's servant in verse 27. Who delights in the prosperity of his servant. So the psalmist is hated without cause, the same as the other psalm, Psalm 69, and we see the same text or the same phrase, they hated me without cause in John 15, turn back there now. 
But it is, as you turn back there, it is very striking that in other Psalms we find the psalmist, mostly that are David, attributed to David, describing himself as one hated by others. Why? Why would he be hated by others? Because those who hate God also hate him because he is zealous for God. I'll just reference some of these psalms. I'll read a couple of scriptures here. Psalm 9, verse 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. When I read these, consider what they did to Christ. Consider the hatred that was towards Christ and consider the hatred of the world towards Christ today and the hatred of the world towards Christian Christians. Psalm 25, verse 19. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. 38, 19. But my enemies are vigorous and strong, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. 41 and verse 7. All who have hated me whisper together. Against me they devise my hurt. In 118 verse 7. The Lord is for me among those who help me. That's a text to stand out that stands out in our minds, or at least in my mind and my heart this morning. The Lord is for me. Christian, the Lord is for you. Regardless of whatever will come your way, regardless of how the world hates you, the Lord indeed is for you. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. By the way, people don't have to tell you they hate you in order to know that they hate you. Right? We understand that. We don't say that, oh, all these people are going out in the world. I go to the store, I go to the coffee shop, and I know they're not a Christian. I say, hey, how's it going? Like, I hate you because you're a Christian. Does it work like that usually? You get to know someone, you'll find out how quickly in the world. Either they're going to love you because their hearts are changed and turned to Christ, or they're going to hate you because of what you represent, who you represent. Some will tolerate, we understand that, some in our families tolerate us as Christians to a certain extent. There's like these levels of toleration, right? You can go a certain amount, you can say a certain thing. Some of, them, some of family members who just hate Jesus Christ will allow you to pray in their presence. Oh, you can pray over the meal, it's Thanksgiving, go ahead. That's the time for the long gospel prayer, brothers and sisters, okay? That's your opportunity. Go with it. Don't let the food get cold, but go with it. Say what you can. Say what you can when you can. And there's times when we just keep our mouth shut and we're in a prayer closet for them because they're going to hell unless God saves them. And there's nothing we can do to change that, except be faithful to his word and his text and him and pray for their souls. And similar to what David was going through, compared to what Jesus was about to face as we consider where we are in John 15, a large number of enemies. David had a large number of enemies. Jesus had a large number of enemies. And Christian, you have a large number of enemies. You will in this world. Then there's the power of the enemies. The power the enemies had with David. The power the enemies have had with Christ. We know Christ was in control at all times. He allowed them to do these things in fulfillment of his divine plan, of God's divine plan. But the power the enemies have over us that God allows 
as we see in this world. False accusations by them. They were there with David. They were definitely there with Jesus, and they will be there with us as Christians as well. The one who is persecuted, as we read in the Psalms, as we will see in John 17 with Jesus in the the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, The psalmist was trusting in God. Jesus was trusting in God the Father. And that is indeed who we must trust when we are going through persecutions and times of trouble and turmoil. All these David went through. Jesus did as well. In some ways, we will too. Jesus says, They hated me without a cause. Illegitimate grounds. Charges that could not stick. Remember the old phrase, older phrase, trumped up charges. Pardon the pun today, right? This is really coming to fruition. Trumped up charges or, or false schemes. In John chapter 12, numerous charges verbalized against Jesus. Remember they said who they, you're, you're not who you say you are in summary. In chapters 18 and 19, formal char- charges against him and a sentence carry out on an innocent man. Without cause, indeed, motivated by hatred for Christ. Similarities again. David, zealous for God, hated and persecuted for it. Jesus, zealous for God, hated and persecuted for it. Christian, zealous for God, you will be hated and persecuted for it. David prays to God expecting deliverance from wrath. Jesus, instead of expecting his father to deliver him, did not avoid the wrath of God, did he? He bore God's wrath for sinners like you and me. Jesus did not escape the hatred of men. He bore the brunt of man's hatred. Some applications for us. When Jesus says in verse 25 that this is to fulfill the word written in their law, they hated me without a cause, this hatred is used. This is the means that God uses to fulfill the plan of redemption. This hatred by men was used to result in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it's through this crucifixion, the greatest act of love, in order that men may be saved. And the responsibility and the guilt rests on man and man alone. The world hates Jesus Christ and it hates his Father also. The world hates true Christians because they are part of the true vine. Jesus Christ. The world persecuted Jesus Christ and will persecute Christians also. The world hates Jesus because of his words and his works. What he says, his teachings, what he did and what he does, his his works, his transforming work in the life and regeneration. And people hate that too, do they not, Christians? When if you were saved later in life and let you say you live like a 
a rebel without a cause for most of your life, and your family knew it, your friends knew it, and they loved every minute of it. And then you get converted, and you no longer live that way, and they can't stand you anymore because of what Christ has done in your heart. And they say, oh, give me back the old Johnny or the old whoever, Susie. But you can't, and you don't want to. Is Christ has changed you, and they can't stand it. Oftentimes, in the context of the Christ-hating, church-persecuting world, what were the disciples to do? Consider what we know about the disciples. Consider what we know about the Book of Acts. Think of Acts chapter 7 and Stephen being stoned to death. Consider Saul of Tarsus as he was persecuting Christians and what he did. And we consider early church history and we consider martyrs throughout the Reformation. We consider persecution in churches today across the world. But what were the disciples to do? Were they to do nothing? Were they to stand on the shore and not go out into the water where it's a little rough in the power of the Holy Spirit to stand firm? No, they were to bear witness of Christ just as the Spirit bears witness, as we'll see in 20, verse 26 and 27. Not this morning. What about us? We are to use the very words, teach the very works Jesus did, live lives following him to a world that hates him. Wading out in that river that tries to take us down. Circling back to verse 25, they hated me without a cause. This quote being from either, as I mentioned, Psalm 39 or Psalm 69. Either way, the significance is that it is God himself that indicates judgment upon the world's hatred of Jesus Christ. And judgment upon those who hate Christians. And the hatred is entirely without cause. Entirely without cause. Hated Jesus, there is no reason to. And hating his followers, there ought to be no reason to hate Christians other than what God has done in us. Let us not give them a reason in our flesh and how we live worldly. But the world is therefore culpable. God is not stagnant towards such hatred of His Son. He has appointed a time for judgment. And judgment is indeed coming. If you are of the world, today is the day to be saved out of the world and into the kingdom of God by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. For those of us this morning who are in Christ, you and I have, by God's grace, taken a stand in Christ and for Christ. We've all known the world's hatred in some way, shape, or form. You've stood in Christ and for Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, been united to Him, a Christian for any length of time. 
You've known the world's hatred. Yet, you know the favor of Jesus Christ. That He is for you. He is for you, Christian. You are His. You belong to Him. You know fellowship with the world. You know what that's like. Those of us who are Christians in here, we've been there. We understand. We lived that way for however long it was in our lives without Christ. We know what fellowship with the world is like in contrast to the fellowship with Jesus Christ and being in Christ, don't we? We would not want to go back to the ways and be in fellowship with the world and aligned with the world once again. Although tempted, yes. Although take steps too, yes. But God brings us back because we're His. Sometimes we come back limping, crawling as He drags us. Sometimes we come back so quickly for our love for Him. But we don't want to go back. Yet hatred from those who are of the world can take its toll, can it not? Some of us face that more than others. I mentioned before, some of us maybe have a family who everyone in their second, third, fourth, fifth cousin is all saved. Probably from the South, if that's the case. Everyone, or at least they say. And if you're in a family, most people are genuine Christians. Praise God for that. We praise God for that. Absolutely. That's the grace of God alone. Yet hatred from this world can take a toll. And we can be prone to be hardened towards people. Can't we not? Or desire to fight back. Especially for those of us who have a history of scrapping in some way, shape, or form. Just like that, the flesh jumps in. We're ready. Whether it be verbally or physically. But Christ did not fight back. The world hated Christ without a reason, without a cause. Let it be true of us, Christian, that we do not give cause to be hated by the world that is of us and it's not of Christ. Let such hostility, enmity, strife, and mockery be provoked only by our fellowship with Jesus Christ because we belong to Him and because we represent Him. Let us not forget either, dear Christian, that we were enemies of Jesus Christ at one point in time as well. And we hated Jesus as well. It ought to cause us hearts of compassion to the lost. Not a heart of pride, thinking we're better because we are not. But God so loved us that He gave His Son to us. He took our sin, including our hatred and rebellion, upon Himself on that cross, bore the wrath of God that we deserved, died in our place so that we may have eternal life. That we would be forgiven, changed, united to Him by faith, He would give us a new song in our hearts of praise to Him.
He would give us the ability to love him as he first loved us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you this morning that you have given us your word and we have explanation of how this world feels towards you and towards us. It's because of your words. It's because of who you are. It's because of what you have done. And it's also because of in fulfillment with your plan, your great divine plan. Oh, Lord, and we look at that and we consider that and we say, praise God, you have saved us, you have changed us. And God, we ask this morning that if there be any here under the sound of my voice who have never turned to Jesus Christ from their sins, have never repented, and have never put their faith in Jesus, that you would give them the grace to be able to do so this morning. Let them not leave here without knowing Christ. And you would get the glory for, for it and for all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.